And I want to start by just showing you just a picture. And I want to ask you a question behind the picture. And the question is this, is, is this uh, our impression or understanding of Christ? Because this is a picture that uh, is commonly seen. Uh, it's commonly portrayed. Is that your understanding of Jesus? We see it in buildings. We see it, uh, you know, a guy who's on a cross, who's nailed to a cross. Because to me, that represents a guy that's dead on a cross. And if that's a guy that's dead on a cross, then I don't know who's changed my whole world, my whole life, because the person that's changed my whole world is not dead. He's alive. I've know him. I've encountered him numerous times through supernatural encounters with this person called Jesus, when I've cried out to him, when I've called on his name, when I sit there in the silence and meditate on his word, filling my mind with his truth. I've had numerous encounters, like I know my wife, I know Christ, like I know my children, it's tangible. And so that's part of a two-part picture. But that, as I said at the start, is the beginning of something. And so often... Even the church, God's people, have made that the end. We've made that the end. We say things like, Jesus died to cleanse you from your sin and your iniquity. And there is truth to that. But that is the beginning part of the story. And we've made it the end. And so we think, we come and we just can almost get a bit morbid about that. And we get all down when... The reality is that he came, died, rose again, and moved forward. And so we're to enter into the celebration of that act, but by no means stay there. So I don't understand that. I don't understand, to be honest, communities that have that and continue to have that, when that is a part of a much bigger picture. And we... Believe as followers in the life of Christ. The death is important. Absolutely. Hear what I'm saying. I love the fact that Jesus came down for relationship. See, my sin, my iniquity just got in the way of something bigger. And we've got to be so careful that we don't make the micro the macro and the macro the micro. Because we're good at making the macro the micro Instead of making, I'm confusing myself now. <laughs> this is step one. But he came for relationship. And a relationship that lasts forever. Infinite. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if they die, and live forever. Man, what does forever look like? Have you ever stopped and asked yourself that question? Have you ever stopped and gone, you know what? How long have I got here on this planet? If I'm lucky, if I'm fortunate, maybe somewhere between 80 and 100. My father passed away at 70. Found Christ at 55. Thank God he found Christ at 55. 
But how long do we have here? I mean, I was horrified at the accident or the horrific attack on Jesse Ryder. Right now, I just want to pray for that young man. One minute, he's going to India. Next minute, someone's bashing him up and he's in intensive care fighting for his life. So, Father, I lift up Jesse Ryder to you. I don't know the man personally, God, but you've burdened my heart for him. And so I lift them to you. I thank you for the support that he's having from those people that were outside the hospital, Lord. And I pray for this young man and I pray that he would encounter you. I thank you that he's able to speak to his family. I thank you that it looks like things are turning. But I pray for absolute one wholeness of health and recovery. I pray, God, that you would meet him. I pray this would be an opportunity where he would hear those words, Jesse, where are you? You're blessed. I've given you these talents to play cricket. You're a phenomenal sportsman, a cricket player. But I have more for you than that, Jesse Ryder. I have more for you. Everyone here today has more for you than that. So God, we lift Jesse Ryder to you and his family. And we, I pray your, your blessing, your life, your health, your healing into his body. And I pray, Lord, through this, that there's an opportunity that we can maybe meet and talk. And so, Lord, we just lift them to you now in this situation. In Jesus' name. Anyone here been lost? Anyone here got yourself lost? (laughs) Most of us men probably have because we hate following directions. (laughs) And so we go, I know where I'm going. (laughs) And we end up lost. We got lost in Cambodia. In fact, we almost ended up in uh, Vietnam. Um, and we'd done a truckload of driving at that point and it was so funny because we're driving down this dirt road and I'm sort of looking at Sinai and he's sort of, you know, you get that look on his face he's, he's trying to act all like he knows where he's going but there's something in his eye and I'm going, I think we might be not quite where we should be so he pulls over, I give him that he pulled over, guys, and he asked for help <laughs> we didn't hit Vietnam, got close but... um <clears throat> I remember as a four-year-old boy, and I was born in England, uh, in Liverpool in England, and to be honest, going to the beach was a little bit like that for those people you've just seen. We'd never been to the beach before, and uh, although Liverpool is, is on the coast, um, it's a docking place, it's no beaches in sight, and so we had to go uh, to a beach. We went to Wales, and I remember being there and, um, as a four-year-old, and uh, you know, when the sun shines in England, which is once a year, I think all of England go to the beach. And so you've got to imagine this, there's yay so much sand and you can't see the sand for the people that are on the beach because everybody's decided to go to the beach. And they've got their brollies up and they've got their longs on and their socks and sandals. That's a stereotype, by the way. That's not true. English people wear shorts. And uh, anyway, we go to the beach and uh, my older brother Keith and my mum, uh, go out into the sea and um, we're out there having fun and we're, I don't know, we're probably about 300 metres, 200 metres off the shore and um, <clears throat> I said to my mum, I want to go back in and she said, yeah, that's fine. Do you see our umbrella? Ours is the orange one. That, yeah, you got that in your sight? Yeah, no problem. I can see that. Okay, well, you just you go and we'll be in in five minutes. Well, you know, but a young boy, four-year-old, he sort of sees where he's going and, oh, what's going over here and what's going over here? Before I knew it, I drifted 
down the water, down the water. And I don't know where we were, but where I ended up on the shoreline, I'm looking for this orange umbrella and I couldn't find it anywhere. And I'm looking this way and I can't find, see my dad, I can't see my young brother Martin, who's just a baby, and I'm starting to panic. And so what do you do? Well, I try and find. So I start wandering down the beach and I end up sort of wandering the wrong way. And I'm just looking and looking and I start crying and I don't know, just, I can even feel that, that feeling now. You just know that you're lost. You know that you're in trouble. And I remember looking, and I don't know how long it was, it felt like an eternity. And I thought, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I'm just crying and crying. And I still look up and I see the ice cream, Mr. Whippy, yeah, on the, on the top. And I think, maybe I should go just stand there and just wait. And hopefully mum will, mum will come and, you know, add up one and one and she'll realize I've gone there. And I'm just freaking out and panicking. And as I do that, and as I turn to sort of move towards, I see my mum legging it down the beach. <laughs> I mean, probably the fastest she's ever run with my older brother in tow. Just screaming, running towards me at 100 miles an hour. She's crying, she's weeping. And I'm like, and we embrace. And there's a sense of, when I think about that story, I think of God's heart, that he runs to lost people that are lost. He runs to people that are going through this world on a journey, looking for something, trying this, trying that, trying this, trying that, whatever those things are. They can be alcohol, they can be women, they can be men, they can be relationships, they can be children, they can be career sport. All the things that we create as we think are the things that are going to complete us and we're lost. And it was like reminding me of this four-year-old when I'm lost and I'm looking for my mum. My mum and my dad, and my mum is running towards me. I'm going to read a story in Genesis. It's not a story, it's true. It's a real account that happened. And I think it explains what I'm just trying to share with you in story form. It's in Genesis 3. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. There's a tree. It's got some fruit on it. God says, Don't eat. I command you not to eat from that tree. There's a number of trees here in this garden. And you're free to partake of any tree, but not that one. Just leave that one alone. It, the, the tree in the middle of the garden. God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in that day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. You see, the eyes were opened to a reality, a new reality, that wasn't their reality. They're walking around naked, it's all good. Their eyes get open to a reality. Now they know, oh, something's just shifted. Something has just changed. 
And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to man and said, Where are you? It's amazing what guilt does, isn't it? Number, numbers of people I've met feel guilty for the things that they do yet. And they think that that, their actions separate them from God. And we see here God, he knows all this stuff. And he still comes. And he poses a question. I hope you hear me. He poses this question. He says, you know, yeah, yeah, this stuff, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But let's just park it. I'm here. Where are you? This is Adam. I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And my personal opinion is we have these insatiable needs in us as people. And it started right here. And because these needs exist, we end up rejecting the reality of God and a relationship with Him. And this is what these needs are. We have this insatiable need to be in control of our own lives. We have this insatiable need to determine and to dictate all our decisions and our lives and who we will become. We don't want anybody else determining that factor. This is my reality. The second thing is we want to determine what truth or knowledge is. We want to determine our own definition of truth, even though we haven't created ourselves. Or we haven't even chosen to be born. Anyone here choose to be born? No. Did your parents choose to be born? No. And so we are the creation. Someone created us. But we have these drivers. And man, are they strong drivers to be self-sufficient, in control, determining right and wrong, determining what truth will be, even though we never created ourselves, we still live with this paradigm. And this is what we're seeing unfold right here. This is why God says, do not touch this. Do not touch this tree. You don't have the capability of actually partaking of this. If you partake of it, you will start living in a reality that you cannot handle. You don't have the maturity. You don't have the wisdom that I have, and this thing will be the death of you. But as it says here, it says she saw and had this almost like a lust of the eyes. Oh, and this is going to give me wisdom. Well, the reality is mankind has been suffering because of that decision. And we live in a world that is so broken and damaged where people are bashing people up. What was it over? Who knows? We've got people 
killing other people and nations. We've got people starving for food because of choices and this insatiable need that lives within you and I. And God, knowing all that, says, where are you? With all your sin, with all your shortcoming, with all this nature that rages, that wants to be in control, I still want relationship because I created you for this other reality. Listen to these words of this man called King David and a man by the name of Paul. He said this, he said, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now this word iniquity is just means lawlessness. It's this nature that wants to be in control. I'm not interested in defining how what you define as truth. I want to define truth. It's lawlessness. It's when we break the law. This country is built on laws. If we speed over, over this weekend, I was looking on the telly, I said if you go 4Ks over, it's actually 100Ks we're supposed to drive. So they even give you a little bit of grace. They say if you go 4K, anything over 104, I'm going to ping you. But I know me. And this nature, 104, that's a bit slow. I drive a Maxima, man. This thing can go 120. I don't even think I feel I'm going 50. Now, will I obey that law? Or will I define the law through my own eyes? See, this is this nature that lives in every single one of us. We want to be lawbearers. We want to determine what the truth will be. And we say things like this. Mark, you determine your truth, and I'll determine my truth, and as long as I don't hurt you and you don't hurt me, it's all good. And this man says, wash me from this, cleanse me from this. He says this, I was, I was brought forth in it, and the sin my mother conceived me in. So I came into the world like this. He says that Paul says this in another part of the Bible. He says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men, meaning people, because all have sinned. And this is this picture right here in Genesis, right at the very start. Okay. So Jesus coming and dying on the cross is like 4,000 years after the start. But right here, right at the very start of this food source that God has given us, the start of creation, this is the picture. And God reveals his heartbeat, his intent, his purpose to us as his people. Where are you? I know this exists. I know this is this reality. But I'm moving past that. Because I came to bring you life and life abundantly. I've come for a relationship. I created you for a relationship. I created you to be with me forever. He's in the business of restoration. God's in the business of restoring, reconciling, bringing his people back to a place and a position that we never should have left.
It's interesting how their language starts to define how they talk with him, doesn't it? How their language starts to shift. You see, they're now in this position, and it's a position that will last infinitely. They've now partaken of something, and now this reality that wasn't now is, and it's infinite. This position I'm describing to you is an infinite position. It's, I see it at work in my children. I don't teach them to lie. They've discovered it. Anyone here teach your children to lie? Hey, I'm going to tell you, Madeline Lily, how to lie, how to get away with things, how to really upset your mum and dad, and how to work us, how to work the system. So you get three biscuits instead of one. This is how you work it. Anyone here teach your children that? No. There's career choices that we label people by those things. No, we don't. Do we? It's there. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but Mr. I Don't Know is pretty popular in our house. (laughs) Who did this? I don't know. Gee, he's back again. Anyone know who painted the wall with crayon in your hand and on your face? Oh, I don't know, Dad. (laughs) Mark just said Danielle. (laughs) She's pretty creative, but not that creative. And here we see Adam, the language, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because... I was naked. See, this wasn't the language before. If you know anything about the Bible, you read verse 1 and 2, it wasn't their language. It's now become their language. But once again, and I want to stress this, and there's three words I want you to hear. The Father's focus is where are you? Yes, yes, I know that, I got that, I'm parking it there for a minute, and I'm coming. Where are you? You And I want to ask you that question today. Where are you? Where are you at with this whole thing called truth and Christianity? Where are you at with it? Don't believe it. whole lot of mumbo-jumbo, whole lot of gibberish. I believe in evolution or I believe in, in other faith systems. I believe in Buddhism. I believe in this, 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 this. Where are you at? Jesus said, these aren't my teachings. He said, if you obey the teachings, you'll discover whether it's true or not. He says things like, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find truth. See, I believe if you genuinely are a seeker of truth, genuinely, not rationalizing a faith away or another faith because it makes you Uh, justify where you want to be but if you genuinely seek truth you will find truth even if you go across the years of looking at the different religions i guarantee you you will come to a place of discovering the truth that has life on it because everything else has death on it and you'll come to that reality it was so funny being in cambodia and having a tour around Angkor wat which is a massive temple and the eighth wonders of the world over there made by man and we had a guide and the guide was talking to us about the hindu faith and man there are so many similarities it was incredible to this temple three temples 
three big temples, he described what those were. I'm going, man, that's the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The similarities were amazing. And I said, why do they need to wash in these waters? And he said, because they need to cleanse themselves from their sin. I said, how often do they come? He said, oh, daily, three times a day. I said to him, did you know there's someone that took your sin away for a whole lifetime once? That's all it is, and it's done. He looks at me like, I said, it's Jesus Christ. He smiled, he laughed, we continued on the tour, and we engaged again. I thought, man, these people, they come to these waters hoping to get holy, hoping to get well, and it's just this continuous process. Day in, day out, day in, trying to work their way to get good, trying to get holy. When does it end? I said, when do you get holy? He said, nobody knows. How sad is that? This works-based mindset, this works-based religion, I'm trying to work my way to be good, that in the event I could maybe get into this place called heaven. And Jesus said, it isn't based on works. It's based on me. I've come. I've come to cleanse you for once and for all. You don't have to keep doing this. Stop focusing on this stuff because I've come for relationship. And just like, my, as I said before, the stuff my children do, and they do maybe not live up to the Simnor guidelines. Mum and Dad don't either at times. But it doesn't separate me from relationship with my children. I don't come and go, Madeline, you've been so bad. We're ending this relationship now. <clears throat> Do we? Yet we have this mindset that the one who created us acts like this. And we focus on the wrong stuff instead of focusing on our relationship with him, which sets you free from this. We tell people this is what it's all about and they're sinners and they're going to hell and all the stuff. That yeah, that is truth, but that's not what the focus is to be. The focus is to be on relationship, on love, what the Father did. That takes care of itself when this becomes the reality. No different than any other relationship that we're in. When we fall in love with a person, a person that's living, a person that's alive, a person that'll be with you, never leave you, never forsake you. A love that's so wide, so deep, so high that we can't even understand it in our head. But we can experience it and receive it in our hearts, in our spirits. Because we're made in the image of God, which is a spirit. And we can receive his spirit, which brings wholeness, completeness, joy, patience, gentleness, kindness. A living reality of I am the resurrection and I am the life. I'm not just a guy that died some years ago who was nailed to a cross and it ended. It's the start of a completely different paradigm with me. And I long and I invite and I run and I always put it out there hoping, longing that someone will grab hold of the invitation. What a beautiful picture of a father that loves I don't know whether you know it or not, but Jesus described God as Father. If you look 164 times, you'll see him use the word Father. That describes an intimacy, not Lord, Savior, even this is a friend, Master, but Father. Some of us have been ripped off, and we haven't necessarily had a Father physical father that modeled something to us so we can struggle with this reality 
I've been very fortunate to have a father that modelled, even though he wasn't a follower for most of his life, the heartbeat of the father, which has helped me with this. But I'm here to tell you today that God came for relationship. And he asked the question, where are you? And I ask you today to forgive us if you are not or haven't yet made a commitment to him. But I want to ask you to forgive us as his people and as the church. I want to apologize to you. If you've ever heard language come out of our mouths that have been judgmental, condescending, where we have labeled you and called you things, I want to ask you to forgive us. I want to speak on behalf of The Rock and on behalf of the church in Wellington and New Zealand and say we are sorry because we are on a journey and the reality is we don't understand the fullness of this love as well and we're trying to come into it. And because we are wired and we all have this nature, we aren't wired like him and we're trying to discover who he is and his love. And so we can even make things that are supposed to be about this, we make them about this, and then we speak this language. See, Jesus said this. You may be familiar with this passage of John 3, 6. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, his beloved Son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life. You may have had that spoken to you. You may have read it. But what verse 17 says, which you may not have heard, it says God sent his Son not to judge the world, but to save it. You see, the church is very good at judging the world. Why? Because we're actually on a process of change and we're trying to come into the heartbeat of God as well. What you're seeing is our humanity. And so Jesus, God, from, and this is why I say to people, don't ever look at me and judge God. Please don't ever look at Greg Simner and think Greg Simner represents the fullness of the Father. I'm on a journey of allowing that to happen. But he is God. His heart beat, I'm in process. He's not. So look at the Father. Don't look at Greg Simner. And God says this, I sent my boy, my one and only boy, my son, not to judge you, but to offer you an invitation of relationship. I've come to take you from this posture that we've discussed that we all have, wanting to be in control, wanting to define truth, wanting to determine what our lives would be. I've come to, I know that, and I'm showing you, I've sent you my boy to take you from that posture into this posture. And I don't judge you, I've come to, the Bible says save you, because this is a lost position. You may not realize, I didn't realize I was lost, lost. God's not lost. People say, I love it, and I said this, I found God. He wasn't lost. It wasn't like you turn around the corner, whoa, it's God. <laughs> I'm lost. He's got his hand out like this. And there's this beautiful picture in the Bible that talks about this woman, and I'm going to finish with this. And this woman, she comes to this well, and she's thirsty for water. And she comes with her, her bucket and she has this encounter where she meets Jesus. Jesus is there. His disciples have gone off into the city to get food. And I think he just sees an opportunity to share 
his reality, why he came with someone that's in this posture. And he says these things. He says, you know, if you'd ask me, I'd give you a water that lasts forever. And she looks and she's like, hmm, but you haven't even got a bucket. He says, I'm not talking about natural water. I'm not talking about this water that quenches a thirst. I'm talking about a water that will quench a thirst forever. I'm talking about living water. That if you receive this living water, this quench, this hunger, this desire for things, people, other things, to try and fill this void that exists within every single one of us, you will have that quenched, that desire that will be quenched with living water. I'm talking about a living water. See, he's talking about himself. He's saying, you haven't yet received me, so you're still quenching for this natural water. You're still looking in the natural for things that only can be found the fulfillment of that in me. And Jesus even says to her, he says, he says go away and grab your husband. Let me just read this so I get this fully right. Is it behind me? Just, uh, no, I'll read it out to you guys. I just want to get this completely right. Because there's something really, really powerful right here that he says. Sorry about this, guys. Right. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him or her a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. See, what this woman was doing was trying to find this living water in a man. We try and find it maybe in a man, in a woman, in our children, in a whole lot of other things. She's thirsty. She's working, going through life, and she's going from one man to another man to another man to another man, and now she's on to her sixth man, and Jesus stands in front of her and says, I have a reality that I came to bring you. It's just whether you want to accept this water. That's why he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the living water. Where are you? And so that's the question I want to leave you with. And I do want to give you an opportunity and just invite the guys back to respond to what I've shared this morning. I want to give you a reality to say, Greg, I don't fully understand this in your mind. Good. You won't. You have to take a leap, a step of faith. I didn't fully understand. I, you're never going to have all your questions answered. Do you realize that? 
You're never going to have, but what about this and what about that and what about this and what about that? God gives you enough to be able to take a step forward. When you take one step, he takes 100 million. But you're never going to get it all answered because you know what? It doesn't require anything. It doesn't require faith and it's the very thing he wants you to trust. He wants you to step out of and come into another reality that's a spiritual reality. It's a step of faith, not blind faith. Every single one of us operate in faith every day to some measure, don't we? You think about it, anybody here check your brakes before you drove your car this morning? No. Anybody go up to the airline pilot and say, can you just give me the run sheet of the mechanics before I jump on this thing so I can see that the guys have checked through and give it to me again and again so I know this is fully nailed down? No, you take a step of faith and trust and you enter into a plane that flies above the earth for a numerous number of hours to get from one country to somewhere else. And yet the creator of the universe stands in front of you today and says, would you take a step of faith with me? Would you take a step out of a reality and step into something? And if you will, I promise you, I will never leave you. I will meet you. And through an act of faith and through an act of acknowledgement, the Bible says you will receive him and move from one reality into another here in your spirit, in your heart. And that is the start of a resurrected life. See, Jesus came and died, but if he didn't, if he wasn't resurrected, it's a complete waste of time. That's what the Bible teaches us. Without the resurrected life, what he did is a waste of time. It's the proof that he is God. It's the proof that he is real because he died and rose from death. The Bible says death has no sting. Everyone who is in Christ, death has no sting. The fear of death is gone. Did you hear that? The fear of death is gone if you're in him. So is there anyone here today? All I'm going to ask you to do is just, just raise your hand and just say, Greg, I'm ready to make a step of faith. I'm ready to acknowledge that Jesus is who he said he was, that he did come and he did die and he rose again. And I'm ready to accept him as my Lord, as my God, as my Savior, to redeem me, reconcile me back to and into a living, transforming relationship with Him. Is there anyone here today that wants to take that step of faith? If there is, just quickly just put your hand up so I can see it. It's just an acknowledgement so I know that we need to go forward and do this or not. It's fine. It's not a pressure thing. You'll know your heartbeat will be pumping like mad. You'll just know you want to do it. Is there anyone here before we move on? For me, it was, as I say, it was the age of 29. Pretty messed up. Been married before. That lasted three and a half years. I thank God there was no children involved. But made some crazy mistakes. Came to the end of me. <laughs> now this nature, I can figure it out. I know what I'm doing. I don't need you. 
I've got it all sorted. And he was so beautiful. And he came over nine years, lights and rooms and healings and stuff. Still rejected him. But he continued to come. Who are you? Who are you? Can't you see that I'm giving you the finger? Can't you see that I say yes and then I lie and I run away? Can't you see that I say if you do this, I will follow you and I don't? Who are you? You're not human. What is this love? Who are you? You keep coming and you keep coming and you keep coming. And I reject you and I reject you, but you still keep coming. And it seems like my stuff and my sin and my heart and my mind can't separate you. You keep coming. Greg, where are you, son? You were born to be in relationship. You were born to know me. I knew you before you were even conceived. I knew what you were going to do before the foundations of the world. You're mine. You can't run away from me. You can't get on a plane because I flipping can zap the planes or I created the planes. You can't go anywhere where I'm not. And I will continue to come and come and come and come. Even when you give me the finger, even when you tell me to F off, even when you say no, even when you believe in all the other religions, even though you set up your own empires, I will still come. Because I'm bigger than all that. I want relationships. And I want to bring you to a place which is beneficial for you. Not me, but for you. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. To take us. And the Bible says he's returning to collect his bride. To collect his people. See, we live in this time frame. It's called grace. And there is a time when Jesus will come and judge the world. It's not now, but he is coming. It's in phase two. And so once again, just one line. Is there anyone here that says, Greg, I'm ready?